0: Any securities or investment products discussed on Talkie Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talkie Money. This is certified financial planner professional Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with me. This is a little different for me. Instead of being live in the studio, I'm uh, going to send this uh, on to the station ahead of time. So we'll be recorded. But you can send me a question. So as, as people do who listen to me on and listen to Talking Money as a podcast, uh, you can always send those questions to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. And of course, when you get to talkingmoneyradio.com, as I say nearly every week, you can always go in there and find some uh, other shows we've recorded on different topics and uh, get as educated as you care to be on whatever that topic is. So we welcome that opportunity. And of course, that's where you send the question. So there's also a place in there that says, ask Mike a question. And on there, you can uh, just type it in. And I guess we should say keyboard it in. You know, who types anymore? It's showing my, showing my age. You know, We don't have typewriters. Uh, my daughter and wife, we were talking about that this week. It's hard to imagine that that the, uh, the IBM Selectric and those typewriters that we used to use uh, way back in the day, uh, you can't even find them anymore just not there. And, and my wife was a court reporter in, in the early years of our marriage. And so she would take shorthand and uh, I don't know, she was up to a couple hundred words a minute. I mean, she was fast at that shorthand. I mean, she, was, she had it so ingrained in her when we were in church and we were listening to the message, the sermon, she was not writing it down, but you could see look over and see her hand moving. and she was doing shorthand on the, whatever the, the pastor was teaching on that day. So that was that was kind of funny. But she was talking about how in the first time, first part of when she was a court reporter had to type up the transcript, uh, there she would have to do carbon copies. So depending on how many attorneys wanted copies, there would be two or three different carbon copies. And you know what that means when it's time to have a mistake, when you make a mistake, what do you do? And how do you go back? You have to take all the pages out. You have to go back and erase the, the pages. And liquid paper, of course, you could do that. But it's just uh, you know, one of those things that was uh, uh, glad to see it gone. You know, it's so much nicer to have the computer stuff that's, that's there. So you just go to the computer and you go to talkingmoneyradio.com and you can get uh, access to all those different shows that we have on there. It's a desire of mine to educate people. And as I say nearly every week, this is not a sales program. This is designed to educate you, and that's what we're here for. So when you have those questions, I really want you to send these questions. I answer a lot of questions during the week that never get on the air, um, but we want you to ask those questions because that's my desire is for you to make the right kinds of decisions regarding your finances and not be caught up, especially with some of the salespeople that are out there, and they're, they're trying to get people to do things that, that probably aren't the best for them or even if they are the best for them, they're trying to get to do too much of it. And so you, you need to have a second opinion. So that's what I'm here for. I can be a sounding board for you and it doesn't cost you anything. All you need to do is to submit those questions to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. So Ken sent this question in about IRAs. And IRAs, we've talked about IRAs over the years quite a few times, but they still are confusing and people still have a lot of questions about them. So we're gonna be covering a lot about IRAs today. We still won't get it all covered today, but we'll still cover some of the key points. What Ken's question was, his sister died, and his sister had named him as the beneficiary of his IRA. Uh, so I won't give you the amounts or anything, so I don't want to get that specifics. But the, there are two boys that she, her sister had two sons. One of them is a minor. And so he's trying to decide, how do I get the money at best to them? How fast do I need to take it out? How can I avoid taxes the most possible, but I still want to stay within the IRS guidelines? And of course, the IRS guidelines just changed with the Secure Act. So she died in 2019, in February of 2019. So the question says I decided to just have her IRA transferred to me as the only specified beneficiary. Now he had some options; he could disclaim it and possibly get them on there, but. Uh, Probably not as flexible as he thought he might be able to do. But he said, I will use the Pre-Cares Act, probably the SECURE Act, um, five-year plan to withdraw it, then place the adjusted after-tax proceeds in each boy's trust account that I manage. So his plans are to take the uh, money out as he needs to, and it would be in their name. But he's hoping that, of course, he doesn't have to give it to him. He He just can keep it out and put it in his name. But he has to pay taxes on it at his bracket. This is one of the dangers of doing something like this. That uh, if i have been advising the sister, I would have said, "No, don't do this. Let's let's do something else so that your brother doesn't have to go through this issue of of paying the taxes first and then giving the net proceeds because he's in a higher tax bracket than your your sons are." Um, so be careful with that. I, I run into that a lot over the years I've been uh, doing financial planning where people and say, well, I I trust my brother, I trust my sister, I'm going to leave all these assets to them, and then let them decide how to best pass it along. Now, if it's not an IRA, it's not as big of a deal, because if it's a life insurance uh, proceeds, or if it's just regular assets in a brokerage account, they still get a step up in basis, which means when the person inherits it, not as a beneficiary of an IRA, but if they inherit those assets, they get a step up in basis, which means it's as if they paid what the assets are worth the day the owner dies. And that's what their basis is for tax purposes. So it doesn't matter what the person paid for it in their lifetime, which is really nice now because sometimes people have these stock options and stock grants and or stock payment plan, stock ownership plans that they have through their company where they pay you know, $50 a month and they buy this much stock. And so their basis is all across the board. Well, somebody dies, that doesn't matter anymore because whatever the, the value is, the day they died. So if it's now, if they, if they pay 10, 20, $30 a share all along, but now it's worth $30 a share or $40 a share when they die, that's what the the inherited person, that's what they get to put on their tax return as what they paid for the stock. It's what it's worth the day that person died, which is really nice. But IRA doesn't get a step up in basis. Annuities don't get a step up in basis. I, I know people talk about, yes, it's nice that annuity has a beneficiary. Um, and it, it helps on different things. and has some guarantees in it that bonds don't and so forth. But you don't get a step up in basis. So don't think that just because it's a name has a beneficiary on it. That all of a sudden you're not going to have to pay taxes on it. Of course, if it's an IRA, it's all taxable, whether it's an annuity or not. If it's, if it's in a regular non-qualified annuity, then the, the person inherited it is still going to have to pay taxes on whatever gain happens to be in that. Just like you would uh, uh, an IRA, well, except it's not all gain. So you just want to differentiate between what might come through an annuity and not get a step up in basis and what comes through uh, regular death whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whatever. Right now, the law still says we get a step up in basis, which uh, works out real well. All right, so we're going to come back from the break. We're going to talk about uh, Ken's question about how he thought he needed to take the money out. And, and I've talked to him. I uh, have several conversations with him to make sure we got it straightened out. I even talked to the financial planning department at Ronald Blue Trust in Atlanta just to make sure that I was giving him the right information because this this stuff can get confusing. So I'm not going to try to confuse you today, but uh, you do need to realize that it is complicated and that you'll need to find somebody that knows what they're doing. And and don't just assume that the person at the bank that's handling the IRAs knows what they're talking about. Even if you're talking to somebody, in this case, we're talking to Vanguard, Vanguard was giving them correct information. So we verified all that, but it's not always the case. So you want to make sure that you're really talking to somebody who uh, understands this. Uh, process and how to distribute the funds. If you got a question, and and I would love to have it, just send those questions to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com, and we'll get that question and answer it at a uh, future Talking Money program. We'll be right back. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement, and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas. Financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting and institutional client services. More information about Ron Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ron Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to talking money. <laughs> And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional, Mike Miller, your host for today. We're talking about IRAs and distributions from IRAs today, a very, very potentially confusing topic. And we want to make sure you get the right answers. And I want to make sure I give you the right answers as we talk about this. So I had a question from a radio listener, Ken, who had, and he sent several questions in over the years. Uh, this one, he was the beneficiary of his late sister's IRA, and he wants to make sure the proceeds go to uh, her sons. So his nephews, one of them is a minor. So his, the question is, how do I get the money out? He said, I, I plan to use the five-year plan to withdraw it from the then uh, the, the adjusted after-tax proceeds in each uh, boy's trust account that I manage. Now, I'm not sure. There, there's Apparently, there's other funds there that he can put these funds into as a trust account. Um, and he wants to manage it. We'll talk about the management part of it in just a minute. But he says, I understand, uh, his question goes, I understand the law is that I should have transferred this IRA by December 31st of the uh, year following her death or by December 31st, 2020, and taken the first of five-year withdrawals that year. Of course, R- uh, MRDs or really RMDs were waived in 2020. So my question is, how do I handle the withdrawals from this transfer IRA to avoid any IRS tax penalties, and working with Vanguard. So uh, part of the issue is she died in 2019. So the SECURE Act changed the distributions and and changed, uh, for most people, not being able to do a stretch IRA over their lifetime and limited it to 10 years. There are certain exceptions to that. We'll get to that a little later in the program. But because she died in 2019, that doesn't apply. So what can, she, what can they do? So the five-year rule, he, he can take it out over his the, the lifetime, or he can just take the five-year or do it over five years. But because the, the default, life expectancy would be the default. Um, but he'd have to go back now to Vanguard and say, uh, we should have taken something out, like Ken says. I should have taken something out by December 31st of the year, following the year that she died that's when you can set up the default. Why? And, and I don't know if they sent that information to him and said, you should start taking it out now. But um, our financial planning department seemed to, to think that, yeah, that there's probably a, you can send it a form and say, we, we didn't know about it. And Vanguard could start taking out funds and still have it uh, do life expectancy, but he didn't really want to stretch it out of that long period of time uh, anyway. So, He can still take it out in over a five-year period. And the nice thing about this, which is the same as the 10-year rule, there's not a required minimum distribution every year. The required minimum distribution is that you take it out by the end of five years. So you don't have to take out one-fourth of it. Like he thought, I should start dividing it over four years. Well, because the uh, RMDs were waived for 2020 – He actually has six years with which to take the money out. So he can wait till the end of the sixth year and take it all out or uh, with his, uh, because he's not working, he's retired and and, uh, depending on what his income might be, what kind of, maybe he sells stocks one year and doesn't sell them the next and he has a higher taxable income one year and not the next. He can uh, determine when is the best time to take that money out over that five-year period of time. But like I said before the break, because it's going to be taken out under his name, even though it's going to be for the benefit of the boys, he's still going to pay it in his tax bracket. So when you have to understand marginal tax bracket here is that if his regular, say, assume married filing jointly, and let's say he already has uh, 70,000, let's say, of taxable income. Now, I always got to refresh everybody's memory, the taxable income, is after you have your standard deduction or your itemized deductions and so forth. So it's not your gross total income. It's after that because that's what the tax tables uh, show you. They show you based on your taxable income, not your adjusted gross income. So in, in the case of 2021, where if you're married filing jointly, you can have a taxable income of just over $81,000 and still be in the 12% bracket anything over $81,050 is the exact number, then that's going to be taxed as the next bracket, which is 22. Well, if he is close to the 81 already a taxable income and he's going to take out some of this money, he takes out another $10,000, $15,000 or $20,000 out of this IRA, he's got to add that to his 70. Now he's at 90, so roughly half is going to be taxed at 12%. The other half is going to be taxed at 22%. So you really have to understand your marginal tax bracket to know how to best to take the money out, when to take it out. Of course, part of that's a guess because he doesn't necessarily know what his income is going to be two or three or four years from now. And of course, we also don't know what the tax bracket's going to be. My personal opinion is that they're not going to mess as much with the lower tax bracket. So that 12% tax bracket is probably not going to change. The 22% might not, but there's, a, uh, I think, a higher likelihood that if they're going to increase tax rates it's going to be the 22 24 they're going to put those back up what they where they were before 25 26 and higher uh for for people who have that kind of taxable income but you need to understand that so when he takes the money out then he'll he'll pay the taxes on it then his his um plan is to then take the net so if he takes out twenty thousand and he pays let's say three thousand dollars or four thousand dollars in taxes there's sixteen thousand left he'll take eight thousand dollars and put it in each The the boys trust, and then he will manage it. So he has, uh, unless he goes to Vanguard and gets an exception, has them retroactive, make it, and he files a form to the IRS looking for an exception on the penalties that he would have to pay because he didn't start the the, uh, required minimum distributions on time. He has no penalties as long as he takes the money out within five years, and now he's got six because last year was not a required date anyway. So he'll have the next five years to take it out. If he wants to take it out evenly, just take out essentially 20% a year. It doesn't work out quite like that to be even, but because um, by the last year, of course, it's 100%. But it's uh, you know, one-fifth uh, of the total is going to be taken out every year, and he puts it into the, uh, the account for the kids. So you got to be really careful on how the distributions are made because it's uh, generally an irrevocable thing. Once you make the decision and you do it, you, you can't go back and undo it. Now, like I said, there are some exceptions, but uh, to make it easier and not have to fool with trying to negotiate with the IRS, do it right the first time, and you won't have to worry about it. So on the second part of that question, he is saying, uh, plus on a four-year outlook, would you suggest some stock investment with the boys' trust funds? So I'm personally an aggressive investor and would have my own funds, 100% in stock for the next several years, then maybe dollar cost average out. More so for the 15-year-old, less for the 20-year-old. That's uh, ages of, the, of his nephews. This is a trust for a 15-year-old and 20-year-old who get proceeds at age 24. Okay, so I didn't read it down far enough to see, yes, there are trusts. Uh, and he tells me how much is in each trust and so forth. Um, and, but they're also in his 85-year-old mother's estate. And he's got a fair amount that's going to come to them at age 25 for that. So these kids are going to have a fair amount of money coming to them at age 24 and 25. So the, the the question on how to invest the money it always goes back to as I say anytime anybody asks me that question is when is the money going to be needed? If it's going to be needed in four years or if the fifteen year old needs it for college in three years, well you would want to be careful how much of the money you put in there because you don't want it down. You'd want to have some of it that was going to be available that's not subject to the stock market fluctuations in three years when he starts school, but he's going to be in school theoretically, for four years. Sometimes I know it's longer, but it's going to be spread out. So the most conservative stuff for the first year and then second year, you can have something. Or if there's other funds available that you wouldn't necessarily have to use any of these funds the first year, maybe use any of the funds till the fourth year because it's not enough money that it's going to necessarily pay. It probably would pay for one year of school. So you'd have the flexibility of how far down the road you want to make it, uh, invest it so that – it's down the road is how long down the road before you're going to need it. So the longer the, the further is out, of course he's very comfortable with, with having uh, money in stock investments, but he's got to do it just because he's uh, putting himself out as a fiduciary for the boys. So he needs to make sure he sets it up right for them and not just for himself. And so uh, putting it in some uh, high quality, good, Either an index fund that's, uh, that's a maybe a total stock market fund. If you want to be more aggressive, you put it all in something that's a, uh, that invests in mid-sized companies. You might invest or in small-sized companies. Typically, those have better returns over time, but they're more volatile. The, the further you go down in, in capitalization or size of the companies, the more volatile typically a, uh, a stock or a mutual fund is going to be. And then, of course, there's the differentiation between value versus growth. So growth has been beating value for a number of years. But for the last year, really specifically the last six months, but it's affected the last 12 months return. Value has come roaring back pretty good. And growth is still performing pretty well. but value overall is outperforming growth. How long will that last? I don't know. wish I knew. I, I got a crystal ball at the office, but every time I look at it, it doesn't tell me anything. And so I think it's broken or it needs – batteries changed or something because nobody knows what's going to happen. That's why keeping a well-diversified portfolio, and even with these boys trust funds, uh, keeping it well-diversified, just keeping some, just like anybody would, don't put it all in the stock market if it's going to be needed within just a few years, and put that part in some short-term bonds. You can put it in intermediate-term bonds. They have less fluctuation, but even they've struggled since the first of the year. So, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you've got to uh, just look at to make sure you got the right timing for each one of those investments. All right, so if you've got a question for me, Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com is where to send it. So we'll be right back with the second half of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. Private Wealth, Everyday Steward, Family Office, and the Professional Athlete Division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit Ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee, Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to talking money. <laughs> And welcome back to Talking Money. So glad you're with us today. We're in the second half of Talking Money today, talking about IRAs and distributions from IRAs. If uh, you've got a question for me, you need to send it to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Of course, you can always call the office, as the ad, ad just said, uh, if you want to talk to me directly or if you want to give me a call to see if it looks like we might be a good fit to help you with your financial planning needs. Had a radio listener, a long-time listener, that called me this week. Um, I've actually talked to him a few times over the years, but he's ready to come back, especially with some of the new services that Ronald Blue Trust offers, that uh, there may be some things that we can do for him that we couldn't do for him before. That number is 800-588-PLAN or 800-588-7526. And that'll get me right at the office. If you want to leave a message, even on the weekend, you can do that and be, be happy to, to call you back next week. And, and there again, if it's something you don't want to, to type in or keyboard in, Uh, As a question, and you just want to ask, and that's uh, fine too. I don't mind taking the the calls and spending a few minutes trying to figure out if we can help answer your questions. So, one of the things I wanted to do that pretty much in line with the question that Ken had, talking about his being the beneficiary of his sister's IRA, and he's got two nephews that that he wants to make sure he gets the money to. We covered that in the first half of that. Of course, you can always go back if you missed that. Go to talkingmoneyradio.com next week. We'll post it probably Wednesday or so. And you had to go back in and, and listen to the first half. If you miss that half or whatever part you happen to miss, a, Miss you can do that. But the SECURE Act had several changes with regards to distributions that I wanted to re- remind everybody again because it's something that I had uh, an old producer that was when it was WMUU when we first started talking money. And he would tell me when I'd come in, he says, you know, don't mind talking about the same thing several times. It, most of us, it takes a few times hearing it before it actually is going to sink in and it's going to do it. So, I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time. As a matter of fact, I had lunch with a um, gentleman, friend of mine, a few days ago, and uh, we talked about that, that exact same thing, how it, it just takes uh, some time for most of us to, to figure out what, uh, to, to remember what some concept is to make sure that we get it in correctly. So the the secure act changed a few things. One of the things it changed was when you have to start taking your required minimum distribution, it's been 70 and a half for a long time. And I always pick on Congress, like how'd they pick 70 and a half? Why not 70 or 71 or whatever? What's seven and a half. So we just figured there was some congressman wanted to have it at seven and a half because their age or something, or maybe they wanted to to get back at another congressman and make him start taking his distributions out. And he was already, he was seven and a half. So let's leave it at that. Well, they've made it a nice round number. Now it's 72 instead of seven and a half for taking your required minimum distribution. And what that does for everyone potentially is to give you a longer window of opportunity. So when we're working with uh, new clients or existing clients, We're looking at this window of opportunity between the time that someone stops working. So let's say someone stops working at 65, 66, 64, whatever it is, and they've got a large IRA balance, they've got other assets. And between then and before the SECURE Act, seven and a half, now we've got another potentially a couple of tax years to work with that we can start uh, taking distributions from the traditional IRA and either converting them to a Roth IRA so that the traditional IRA is not as big when you have to start taking distributions. You want to try to time it so that the required distribution is still not going to put you in the next bracket or as little as possible is going to go into that bracket creep that I talked about before the break. So your marginal tax bracket, like for this year, if if your taxable income, married filing jointly, is roughly $81,000, and, and you take out another $10,000 out of your IRA, even to convert it to a Roth? Or are you are going to take it out because you got convinced that you're supposed to buy this insurance policy or this annuity or something like that? Just remember, that's going to be at the higher tax bracket. So if you have some leeway, so maybe you're at $71,000, you got $10,000 of additional income you can report without bracket creep into the next bracket, then that's what you work with. You take just $10,000 out and you convert that. Just convert what you can to keep yourself in the lower tax bracket. Now, you may be trying to, to uh, keep yourself from going from the 22 to the 24% bracket. Well, that 2% is not as big of a deal as going from 12 to 22%. you are talking about saving 10%. Or the higher income people, if you're trying to save from going to 24 to 32 Well, now you're talking about 8% difference. So those are the the two brackets that are the furthest apart in percentage-wise that you'd want to try to keep yourself from going into that next next bracket. So between uh, those two um, time periods, the time you stop working and the time when you turn 72, when you have to start taking required minimum distributions, uh, you can start taking those funds out. Uh, or you can also, uh, well, I would say at least consider when you're looking at making gifts, yeah, especially now when a lot of people have, even with the market not doing so well this, this week, a lot of people have a lot of gains in their stock funds. Well, that's the time to consider taking a part of those funds and switching them to a donor advised funds or going and giving them to a charity or a ministry because you can give them direct. As long as you've held them for a year, they're long-term capital gain assets, then you're going to get a deduction for the, the value of that particular asset uh, the day that you give it. And so that's that's really nice. And you don't have to pay taxes on the gain. Assuming you still like that investment, you turn around and the money you would have spent in cash to give the money, you just buy that investment again. And then your, your future basis is gonna be higher because you bought at the new higher price. So you still like it. Hopefully it will still make money for you over the next five, 10 years, but your basis is gonna be higher because you started at that new price. You don't have to worry about the wash sale rules because you're not talking about taking a loss. If you if you take a loss on the stock, you don't want to give that away. You want to sell that, take the loss. And then if you still like the investment for future uh, growth potential, then you wait 31 days and you buy it back in again. You can buy something, you know, if you're in a particular growth mutual fund, you can always buy the S&P 500 index or a total market index fund or something like that that was not substantially similar and, and you'd still be in the market, or you just wait 31 days and, and you buy it back. The risk you're taking there is that the, the investment keeps going up during that 31 days. Ideally, what you really want is you give it away, and the next 30 days it goes down even more, and then you can buy it back in at an even lower price than, than what you had before. So look at that other opportunity, because what you're going to do want to do once you get uh, up to age seven and a half not 72. When you get seven and a half, you can, then you have to decide, all right, do I, do I make my gifts using appreciated assets or do I make my gifts, gifts using the qualified charitable distribution? So that part did not change. It got confusing for people thinking that because the required beginning date for your RMD started, changed from seven and a half to 72, that the qualified charitable distribution, which is always tied to that seven and a half, that's not that uh, moved to 72 as well. That did not. You still have at age seven and a half, and I'll remind you, it's the day that you turn 70 and a half. It's not the year that you turn 70 and a half. So we've had people I have had some prospects that have come in and they they're sitting in my office in January, February. And I'll tell them, so well have you, have you made any, uh, when, are you, when are you turning seven and a half? Well, you find out they're turning seven and a half later that year. And I tell them, well, don't make any gifts to your church until after you turn seven and a half. And you know, usually the jaw drops like, don't give any money to my church. Well, you're still gonna give it. You're just not gonna give it to, to them until you turn seven and a half. So if you turn seven and a half on November 30th, then all your gifts are gonna come in December and, and you want them to come directly from your IRA. So you're gonna have the IRA custodian make the check payable to the ministry or charity you wanna give the money to and then that, that distribution is not going to be taxable to you because it came directly from the IRA to the, the charity or ministry. So it helps avoid that. It also reduces the amount that's going to show up in your adjusted gross income. And the adjusted gross income number is what the IRS uses to determine how much of your Social Security is going to be taxed. And in some cases, your your medical expenses and so forth, but especially your Social Security for most people, how much of that is going to be included as taxable income is based on that adjusted gross income. So if we can lower the adjusted gross income, we might save the taxes on the IRA, plus we might help reduce the taxes on how much you can have to include your Social Security income in as taxable income, which is also important. So a lot of different things that you can do from a planning standpoint, but it's uh, you need to be thinking about when you turn seven and a half of the year that you're going to turn seven and a half is that you go ahead and delay when you're going to make those contributions until the day, the day after you turn seven and a half. And then the next year you can set it up uh, you know, monthly. If you want to, you can just have it, uh, set it quarterly. You can do it once a year, have it come out of your IRA and be ready to go to the qualified to the qualified charity out of your IRA and not be taxed on that, which uh, is really important. I, I I've not really come up with a reason why somebody shouldn't do that. I mean, some people are not going to be helped. Their tax bracket as such, is such that they're really not going to be helped by the Social Security part. But if you don't itemize deductions, a lot of people don't itemize deductions anymore because the standard deduction is so much higher than it used to be. So if you're not doing that, it's, you're you're not going to you, you can make the contribution. You can take the money out of your IRA just like you normally would and make a contribution thinking, I'll tax deduct it. But you're not going to be able to use your Schedule A because your standard deduction is, is higher than, than uh, your total expenses for that. So you're not going to take it out anyway. So this is a way if you essentially get your itemized deduction without having to itemize because you're taking it out uh, above the line, we say, above the adjusted gross income. All right, so we're going to talk some more about that. The IRA uh, age limitation and uh, some other things that have changed with the um, designated beneficiaries and things like that with the SECURE Act And our last segment of Talking Money. Of course, don't call with a question. Send your questions to mike at talkingmoney.com or you can always call me 800-588-7526 and, and leave word or just try to catch me during the week and we'll uh, see if we can answer your question that way. We'll be right back with the final part of Talking Money in just a couple minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from $100,000 up to a $1 million. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches, so they can focus on a living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Stewart and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. <music> Welcome back to the final segment here of Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today's. We're talking about IRAs, IRA distributions and beneficiaries and all those kind of fun things that virtually everybody has to deal with because just about everybody has an IRA. They had an old 401k that's now an IRA. And there's uh, just all kind of confusing things, especially now the Secure Act changes the rules. It's what makes my job so interesting all the time. It's just it doesn't it changes all the time because once they change the tax laws we got to review those new tax laws, especially for those talking money listeners. We want to make sure that, you, that we keep you up to date with the current things. So we talked about the qualified charitable It's a great way to, to uh, make contributions. I think it's the only way you ought to make contributions, up to $100,000. You'd even make more. So if you wanted to take more money out of your IRA to uh, make a contribution to somebody, they still take it out of the IRA, even if it's above, because the Qualified Charitable Distribution does qualify for your required minimum distribution. But you can go above the required minimum distribution if you want to. So you can go up to $100,000 if there's something going on in your church you want to give, if there's another charity you want to give more money to, it's a way to do it tax-free and to get the money out of your IRA, which means future required minimum distributions will be lower because you've taken some of the principal out of there and you've given it away to to somebody. Doesn't help to try to give it to your kids. That doesn't count. Has to be a qualified charity to qualify for the qualified the QCD or the qualified charitable distribution. Another change that the Secure Act made was the age limitation for making an IRA. It used to be once you hit seven and a half, well, forget it. You can't make any more contributions to your IRA and and take a tax deduction. Well, now you can. So if you're one of those that's still working past then and you uh, want to want to make that. Uh, contribution to reduce your taxes, you can just be really, really careful. I've talked about all the benefits of using a qualified charitable distribution, but you can't really do both of them in the same year. All right? There's a All right. Uh, the deductible IRA contribution reduces the qualified charitable distribution exclusion by the excess of the IRA deductions for all the taxable years. So uh, I, I'm not going to go into all the details and all the lingo that's here that I've got in front of me, but just uh, be aware that if you're going to try to do both the qualified charitable distribution and the IRA deductible contribution in that year, that you're not going to be able to get all that deduction for that year because they're not going to let you do both. They thought of it already. And so, you know, you just you just can't do that. So uh, there again, rem- reminder that they, the qualified charitable distribution still is at age seven and a half and not age 72 and just be careful not to do uh, both of them. So no change in that. Um, Al, uh, I've reminded you in previous shows, been several months ago, uh, and you'll want to pay attention to this one. It's probably done, I probably did this one just before, sometime during tax season this year, is a reminder of who can make a deductible IRA contribution. Because a lot of times people forget what the spouse, the non-working spouse can do or the non-covered spouse can do so if there's if both spouses are not in a retirement plan, or if one's in a retirement plan, the other one's not. Then don't miss that opportunity where the the non-covered spouse, the ones that not in a, a qualified retirement plan, that they may still be able to make that IRA contribution and take a tax deduction for it, even if you can't. And a lot of people are still confused and think that well, if I'm not covered, I'm self-employed, I'm not covered in any kind of retirement plan. I'm still going to be limited based on my income. No, that's not the case. So you're not limited to make a IRA contribution. If neither one of you are in a qualified retirement plan, you can just make the full 7,000, 6,000, whatever it is that depending on your age that you're allowed to do, you'll want to make sure that you take advantage of that all that you can. So uh, let's see several examples of that. Um, So back to the, Distribution, we talked about the first of the uh, show today. Most people now, unless you are an eligible designated beneficiary, you are going to be required to take the money out over 10 years. And Ed Slot, I've read several articles from him. He's one of the gurus. that that's He's a CPA that all he does is essentially work with IRAs. So he knows the rules inside and out. And so he's a good resource. I get his monthly newsletter and so forth. So we know uh, and keep up with some of these IRA rules. Even then, I've got to go back to some old issues and and do some research on some that are unusual type rules that that you don't keep in the front of your mind all the time. But for the most part, uh, a non-spouse beneficiary is going to have to take the money out over a 10-year period. So uh, if you were last year, of course, you got 11 years to do it because 2020 was not required. So who typically is a designated beneficiary? That's an individual. That uh, could be a see-through trust. Uh, so if you don't want the, the child to get all the money from the IRA at once, you can have a conduit trust, you can have an accumulation trust, that kind of thing, uh, but it has to meet all of those uh, qualifications. Who's not a designated beneficiary for this case? And we've talked about this many times. The estate is not. A charity is not because the estate is still going to have to take it out over a limited period of time. The charity is going to want to take their money out all at once. And so they you don't really have to worry about the charity saying, "Well, we want to take it over 10 years." No. The charity wants to get their money right now. So you want to get that out of the way uh, right right away. And if it's a if it's not if the trust does not qualify as a see-through trust, then it also uh, is is not going to it's not going to be a, an appropriate designated beneficiary. So we got the distributions and the requirements uh, for distributions prior to the Secure Act. But um, I don't really want to go over those. And, and the same reason when there are tax proposals out right now that, that President Biden is putting out there, uh, but because they are not law and, and don't even appear to be getting close to law yet, I don't want to confuse people. don't want to confuse myself of what's the current law and what may be a law. So uh, as, as some law gets closer to being potentially and looks like it's going to pass, then you want to say, okay, now what should we do to take advantage of the current law because the new law is not going to be as friendly to taxpayers as the old law, and especially as it relates to, to giving with the different rules now with you can give 100% of your AGI and for those people who can do that, I know that's very few and far between of people listening to me that they can do 100% of their adjusted gross income and give it away. Um, but uh, anyway, just just all these things you try to keep in mind. So what is... And One of the things you got to remember, whether or not something is going to be replaced or you want to incorporate the old rules versus new rules, some have not changed. So designated beneficiary, the definition of a designated beneficiary hasn't changed. The requirements for a trust to qualify as a designated beneficiary, that has not changed. Um, Life expectancy distributions are still allowed for an inherited IRA if the IRA owner died prior to January 1st, 2020. Uh, However, if the beneficiary dies subsequently, the beneficiary dies. So you got the owner that dies, but then the beneficiary dies, and then the 10-year rule is going to apply to the beneficiaries of the beneficiary. Uh, So it's going to accelerate that, and you won't have the opportunity to take out life expectancy distributions. As I mentioned, QCDs are still allowed. Uh, spousal IRA options are st- still apply, so you can still roll it over. If you're a surviving spouse, you can still roll it over. You don't have to worry about paying all the taxes and start taking out the distributions and all that. So you can defer those distributions until this, the deceased spouse would have turned seven and a half or now seventy two, uh, and treat that as an inherited IRA. So you really need to understand uh, these rules. But there are some some uh, designated beneficiary exceptions. So I mentioned the spouse. A minor child a disabled beneficiary a chronically ill beneficiary which you'd think that's also a disabled person but not necessarily some of this chronically ill the irs says that's uh, an exception and a beneficiary owner this i i always find it interesting how uh, irs words things so an exception would be a beneficiary is less than 10 years younger than the ira owner okay you're less than 10 years younger it's like okay so you're older than you're more than 10 years uh, younger than the beneficiary. And there's an exception there to how you can take the funds out there as well. So some of the planning opportunities we've talked about in the last couple minutes here, don't forget, you can, you can, as you don't have to wait till the, you can use the QCD, the Qualified Charitable Distribution. You can also name a charity as the beneficiary of a traditional IRA. Not, not necessarily you want to do that with a Roth, But if you are charitably inclined and you have in your will that you want to give so many dollars to various ministries or charities, well, I would change that, take it out of your will and put it in your IRA. It's much easier to change the names of the people you want, and it's much more tax advantage. So your kids will get more of the regular assets to get a step up in basis for tax purposes. The charity is going to get the uh, IRA and they're tax exempt. So they're not going to pay taxes on that anyway and you got the qualified charitable distribution i don't have time to talk about this but tax management within your family kind of alluded to that at the beginning of the hour who's your who's your beneficiary who's your uh, your kid's beneficiary and your and and your tax bracket which is the best way to do it all right any questions for me send them to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com so thanks for listening to talking money today So uh, glad to have you with us. 800 588 7526 is the number at the office. If you want to give me a call, and we can talk about whether or not we can be a benefit to you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week for the next Talking Money.